Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I am Benjamin R. Harrison, one half of your hosting team for the evening. I'm the other half, Adam Pranica. I often <laughs> introduce myself as the other half. Yeah, oh yeah, because you're married. Right. What's that like? It's pretty great, dude. Yeah. I recommend it. Yeah. It's awesome to have, like, a teammate who's definitely on your side. When you're as big of a fuck-up as I am, <laughs> it is really nice to have some someone uh, in your corner who can forgive that on the regular. I was. Uh, you're not really a fuck-up. I mean, we both have tricky careers to be in, and I think we're both pretty successful, uh, relatively speaking, in those careers. But our wives both have, like, super serious careers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they are they are seriously successful and we are like almost a joke successful. Right. Like it's easy <laughs> to mistake what we do for kid stuff and they are like grown-ups with grown-up jobs and responsibilities and stuff. I feel like many of my conversations about my career and about this show uh not just with my wife but just with friends and associates <laughs> are often just trying to make the case that it's not a joke. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, sometimes I'll go a week or two weeks without working. And sometimes mm -hmm. I will work four weeks in a row. Like, yeah. that's what my life is like. And that is not a joke. Yeah, well, and the days when you're not working can sometimes be really, like, upsetting in a weird way because you're like, God, like, is, is this it? Are we done? Like, do I need to go get a Joe job and and uh, give up on my dreams? My friend Wayne, who uh, who is also a in the freelance film biz, is a he's a gaffer. Uh, invited me to the beach one Tuesday last summer, and we were like out there on the beach, and I was like, I feel like I'm not doing the right thing right now. He's like, Listen, man, on the days when you're when you're not working, like obviously you should be working on your business, but think about all the fucking weekends you've worked. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, you, you earn this. You earn this, buddy. There's a strange amount of when you're a freelancer, like that Stockholm syndrome of if I'm not working right now, then it's wasting time. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Stockholm syndrome, I think we have an episode that is tangentially associated with that subject, don't we? That is true. It's part two of the Slickback Trilogy, a trilogy that we have come up with doesn't, doesn't actually exist at all. You know how TNG like comes out with special box sets like, here's all the Borg episodes, here's R right. all the Q episodes. Uh, the Slickback Trilogy does not exist. <laughs> Who's buying that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Slickback Trilogy. Well, maybe, maybe they'll ask us to curate, like, a, like if they ever do like a Criterion release <laughs> curated by Ben and Adam. I would love to see the Criterion box art for our podcast. <laughs> the thing is, Ben, I can't just throw away a line like that because someone's going to make it. Yeah. We have had some viewers putting in work lately. Yeah, man. Uh, for the laughs. 
and it's been good. Yeah, I think we should probably call out this one that we were both uh, blown away by today. Somebody went and animated Picosby, <laughs> and uh, they came up with like a Starfleet-themed Cosby sweater and put Cosby in the Cosby house on the view screen and then just animated, like perfect lip sync, animated Picosby to a a clip from our show. And then like whenever we're laughing at our own stupid joke, <laughs> they, cut, they cut in like outtakes from TNG of like, you know, Gag Michael Dorn, stuff. like like busting up because a line is so funny. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the funniest thing I've ever seen. We appreciate all of the stuff that our viewers have made, but when people have the temerity to submit a video to us directly, I think I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Pretty awesome. Well, should we get into the uh, into the app, Adam? Yeah, let's do that. Let's go over season four, episode four. It's part two of the Slickback trilogy, Suddenly Human. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So, um, you got a Talarian craft that has distress signaled, and uh, if there's ever a distress signal, the Enterprise is Johnny on the spot. Um, They're, like, picking up feeble life signs from this craft, but they're a little on edge because... It was a common tactic of the Talarians to abandon their observation craft, rig them to self-destruct. And issue a general distress call, yes, Mr. Data, I know. They have a very perfunctory conversation about the risks involved of beaming over. Yeah. And in about 10 seconds, they're like, yeah, it's it's worth it to just go check this out. <laughs> if there was ever a time to reinstitute the beam the grass over under the feet of the people... Yeah. Like, why not just beam over a big part of this ship and uh, remove the risk altogether? Or guess- beam not like one of the four or five main non-Picard characters <laughs> over to the... Yeah, beam over the B-team. Yeah. They beam over and there are a bunch of teens. And they've all got, you know, varying amounts of ground beef on their face and they all have some pretty intense top of head meatloaf as well like and and i I guess the the ground beef is meant to look like radiation burns but the the meatloaf is their is their special alien meatloaf i think they're getting a little weird with the loaf in this episode and this alien because usually there's a fair amount of symmetry involved with the loaf uh, but this is definitely asymmetrical loaf on these Tellarians. Yeah, and it kind of looks like they have, like, scrotum sacks on the back of their heads. They look a little cysty, don't they? It's like male pattern baldness that, that transitions toward the back into scrotum material. Yeah, I might want to comb that over. If yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I know that that's, like, what everybody looks like on your planet, but that shit, like, be a little discreet, okay? <laughs> Do you have to powder that part of your neck? <laughs> yeah, you talc up the uh, <laughs> the back of the dome. Gotta do it. Gotta hit the back of your neck before you go to work. Well, especially in the summer months. Come on. Yeah. You don't want swamp head. <laughs> you work in that hot engineering section. It's a real problem. Mm-hmm. That's how you get ground beef, dude. Yeah. Talc up. Gross. They're uh, they're in ba- bad shape, uh, but there's one with like a, a helmet on and... You know, 
Crusher turns to Riker and is like, This boy, he's human. I've checked the back of his neck and there are no balls there. (laughs) No nubbins, no balls. Nope. They get the kids over and they beam them all to six bay. And most of them are pretty fucked up, but the human is in decent shape. And his hair is not as slicked back as I remembered. Yeah, what it is more, I think, might be just that peak 90s hair that's parted straight down the middle. Yeah. And we should probably complete the look a little bit. Like, he's got wedge hair, like blonde, ear-length wedge hair. He's got leather gloves that he never wants to take off. And he's wearing a vest of bratwurst. Charlie Murphy's fucking Johnson Bill Fraud! Johnson Bill Fraud! Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like if... If a Klingon decided to make a garment out of summer sausage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the summer sausage log that you <laughs> find at a, at a shopping mall. Yeah. Look, Halloween's coming up, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a very cost-effective costume to wear to your Halloween parties. Right, and think about how popular you'll be with your friend's dogs when you go over to their house. <laughs> no, I, I don't need any snacks, actually. I brought my own. so yeah they're all pretty cooked and 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 the human who goes by jono is sitting like stoically and when they try and like interact with him he kicks off this group whimpering want to hear the most annoying sound in the world (laughs) where they whine at the top of their pre-voice-changed lungs. It's as annoying as a car alarm. I fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a weird choice, because they're, like, they're supposed to be this kind of, like, martial people. Like, they're supposed to be sort of, like, a, a shittier Klingon type yeah. of race, where they're incredibly brutal to their, to their enemies, and, the, and their, their brutality is so famous that for a lot of the episode, they're concerned about the possibility that Jono's adoptive parents abused him as a child. And yet when they are upset, they make the banar, the morning. And it sounds like my dog when he's whining that I'm upstairs podcasting and not downstairs petting him. Yeah. I know that's super annoying because people write in and say, hey, it's really annoying when your dog whines on the podcast. That really goes over well when you email a stranger to tell them how much you don't like their dog. That's good. (laughs) That's a good intro. Yeah. There's a pretty funny scene when Picard, like, comes into Six Bay to to check out these these alien survivors and... Please, may I have your attention? and, And to try and get them to stop, he starts, like, clapping his hands... Which is like what you would do with a puppy, right? Stop it! Well, that's better. We've got to establish right away how awkward Picard is around kids. <laughs> yeah. Like, he is just useless. He he will negotiate treaties against aliens who hate each other, uh, but a human child, oh boy. Yeah, he, he clams right up. So yeah, this turns out to be a real space alien Gonzalez story. Most of our references are like late 90s, early 2000s pop culture, right? Yeah. So Picard's in Six Bay and he's doing a bunch of clapping, turning off the car alarm. He's like hitting the clicker a bunch of times <laughs> in, the, uh, in the grocery store parking lot. He's, yeah. 
He's a little bit embarrassed about it. <laughs> and he's like, hey, uh, couldn't help but notice that you're human. And the rest of these kids you're with have loaf. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, where's your loaf, dude? <laughs> and it's like this kid hasn't ever looked into a mirror because he's like, no, man, I'm Talarian. These are my guys. And we were out there on a mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feels like all Picard has to do is hold up a floor length and the show is over. Like, roll the credits. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have about 35 more minutes of this one. So we got to get into some exposition. Yeah, so it turns out that Jono is from a, a family last name Rosa that has a very tragic family history. His parents were killed by Talarians in some long over uh, skirmish or war and... Other members of the family have also bought the farm under, relatively speaking, more or less tragic circumstances. His only surviving relative is a blue-haired old admiral who uh, we'll meet a little bit later. Admiral Werther's? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when when she when she FaceTimes up, there's definitely in soft focus in the foreground a, a bowl of hard candies that have all <laughs> stuck to each other. Um, but yeah, they're like, oh fuck! Like this kid, ha- you know, he's like some Federation royalty. It turns out, like like one of the one of the bigwigs back in uh, San Francisco uh, has a claim to this guy. So we can't just give him back to the Talarians. And it's a little bit Saving Private Ryan-y, isn't it? In what way? In that he's like the last surviving member of his family that hasn't been killed out in the field. Oh, I thought you were going to say that Picard looks a little bit like Vin Diesel. Okay. No, that wasn't where I was going with that. (laughs) I had to, man, that pause was really to figure out if you weren't bullshitting me about Vin Diesel being in that movie. And then I was like, holy shit. He totally was. He totally was. That's how he got his start. Yeah. That was, I think that's how he like broke out. Yeah. It wasn't his breakdancing video. Unfortunately not. You know about his breakdancing video, right? Well, it's the video that got me to stop making my own breakdancing video in order to become <laughs> famous myself. <laughs> okay, fair and enough. In, and instead pivot into trying to get cast into uh, Steven Spielberg movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way. Well, they have some time to kill before the Talarians show up and collect their wounded survivors. But... Um, this uh, this kid is like, you know, they're like, what are we going to do with him? And he's demonstrated himself to be, like, stridently sexist. <laughs> so none of the times that women have attempted to, like, talk to him or ask him to do something have gone over well at all. And, like, the only person he's demonstrated even a modicum of respect for is Captain Picard because people say captain around him. And, like... Uh, he he won't take off his gloves because he doesn't want to touch aliens. And they're like, dude, we're not aliens. Those are the aliens. You see the ball sacks on the back of their heads? <laughs> Trust me, those are the aliens. 
Do you think Jono's sexism is an example of the show gap girling the sexism a little bit? Like, look at how sexist Jono is. Like, there's no way the show itself is sexist in its depiction of <laughs> Counselor Troy at all, right? Yeah, definitely not. I I think that that's a good theory and maybe is fully proven by the scene that Jono has with Worf because... Jono has like a grudging respect for Worf because he's from another warrior race, but he uh, initially is like, how did the humans capture you? And and then Worf has to like break it down to him like, You are human. And among humans, females can achieve anything the males can. Even the terminology in that scene like exposes the the problems with the way this show treats women. Because like, Worf is like, in in among humans, women are allowed to do as much as men are allowed to, or something like that. It's like men have permitted women to be equals. Yeah, <laughs> not like women just are equals. <laughs> like they entertain women's silly fantasies that they are part of society. <laughs> I don't personally cotton to these notions, but here we are. Look around the bridge. I surround myself with these women. As long as they wear the low-cut dresses, everything's fine. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> that was sort of like Worf Trump. It's a little bit uh, dwarf. Can somebody Photoshop Trump hair onto Worf? <laughs> so it becomes clear to everyone, except for Picard, that uh, Jonah really looks up to him. A lot. Mm -hmm. And is really the only one who's able to have any sort of communication with them whatsoever, because whenever anyone else talks to Jono, it goes like it goes with Worf, which just leaves him doing the car alarm on his bed. Yeah. So they have a little McLaughlin group about this whole shit, and it is decided that Picard is going to be daddy for Jono during the next few days as they wait for the Talarians to show up and you know Picard is fucking flipping out about this like not not enthusiastic at all oh no counselor I don't think so (laughs) not enthusiastic is like the Borg incident of descriptions (laughs) for how he feels about this yeah Uh, he almost breaks character he's so uncomfortable yeah At, at first as he deals with Jono, it's it's so stiff. It's like it's very funny. You know, he'll he'll walk in, and Jono will be like doing his crazy puppy whimper, and Picard will have to ask him, as captain of the Starship Enterprise, I ask you not to do that sound. Stop it. the The movie preview for this episode is Captain Picard gets a college roommate that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What happens when we stick Captain Picard with a kid who really likes jam bands, plays really loud music, and hangs out in a hammock? Yeah, they uh, they like tape down the center of Picard's quarters so that <laughs> this is my side and that's your side. I'm not responsible. Look, dude, don't touch my knives. All right. <laughs> I had a uh, I had a college roommate like that. Um, he touched your knives. Yeah, I was not cool with it. He was into jam bands. I had a college roommate who was like, he was like literally, and I and I shit you not, doing everything he could to model his life on 
Kevin Smith and the characters in oh. Kevin Smith movies. Like he dressed like a lot of hockey jerseys. He dressed like Kevin Smith. Like he only watched like Mallrats and Clerks and the like, you know, the Jersey series and obsessively replayed PlayStation games and read comic books and like uh he had a girlfriend who would come over and he would play like old time beige Game Boy and she would just sit and like rest her chin on his shoulder and watch him play Game Boy. Oh no. It was very creepy. That was their foreplay? It was like not foreplay though, because it was like it was a very like chaste relationship. It was hmm. very strange. I had the opposite roommate my first year in college, Ben. Mm-hmm. My first college roommate had all the sex. Really? Just a ton of it. Just like my door knob was covered in socks. Wow. All the socks. <laughs> Just, it was like, I didn't know you could pile socks on a door. The doorknob was covered with so many socks, you'd have to cut the socks to fit more socks over the oh, socks that were already there. The Gordian sock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my first year. Yeah. Uh, I did not uh, not do much sex in college, personally speaking. Nobody was interested. <laughs> yeah, I thought I would really bloom in college. No. Nope. Turned out it was post-college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh man! Well, this has been good therapy. Yeah, yeah, a little bit cathartic, a little bit embarrassing, kind of like. If anyone would like to support the show, they can go to maximumfund.org/donate. <laughs> <laughs> we turned out okay. So Picard has this has this hang with Jono in the kind of spare quarters that Jono has been issued and he's like uh well I guess I guess we've only got each other for this time being uh how how do you like the room everything comfortable we can like bring you something and it's a real it's a really like interesting character moment because he's like Picard is so uncomfortable that he's kind of being uncharacteristically deferent to a much lower status person yeah. Which I think is a great bit of writing. Yeah. And 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 very well performed by Patrick Stewart. And he like he has to like really talk through this with with Troy a couple of times before he's he's comfortable, but he winds up going like, "Okay, Jono, like what are you used to?" And Jono is like, "I live with my captain. I've always that's that's who I've always lived with." And Picard is like, "All right. Well, you can come to my quarters, I guess." And you can tell there's some trepidation there because he doesn't want Jono to know about the gimp uh, he, he, he doesn't you know like he doesn't have any way of like warning the gimp or explaining the series of punishments that will be in, in place <laughs> if the gimp you know blows his cover or whatever but uh, they they go they go into Picard's quarters and Jono starts just kind of like picking everything up all of his priceless antiques um Kind of reminded me of like when I was a kid and uh, like we'd go over to the house of friends of my parents who were like a, you know, like a gay couple that didn't have kids or whatever. And so they had like breakable things on low tables. And as a kid, you're like, holy shit, I cannot believe there's a breakable thing within my reach. (laughs) This bottle collection is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, you have a white carpet? How interesting. Let me find a way to spill a plastic cup full of orange juice on that. <laughs> Picard has not child-proofed his apartment in any way. No. And there's there's a little bit of a head fake foreshadowing here because his entire condo is made of glass tables. Yeah. I'm expecting some shit to go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some build-up without payoff in the glass table department. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. Yeah, well, there's... there's payoff in the knife department they definitely followed the Chekhov rule of if there's a Klingon ceremonial knife on the desk in act one etc etc but uh but yeah um the gimp doesn't uh doesn't bang against the side of the box cover successfully maintained and uh yeah and like and and so like that's that's how that's how they're gonna hang for the rest of it and like and, like, these scenes get kind of emotional. Like, Picard will show Jono, like, an iPad with a bunch of photos of his parents and, and like, him as a baby. And it becomes clear that he's, like, not actually over the violent deaths that his parents suffered. And, and like, in fact, is fairly crippled by post-traumatic stress syndrome. I don't know, Ben. Maybe you know someone who has this, which will make my comment sound totally idiotic. But do survivors of post-traumatic stress have a difficult time recognizing that in other people? Because Jono is giving off all the signs and Picard is just not. He's not understanding that this kid is really going through some of that shit. Yeah. Instead, he sort of takes the tack towards humanizing him. There's like there's a little bit of manipulation involved. He shows him the pictures they uh, they do some bonding by playing some some space racquetball. They have that communication from Admiral Werther. Yeah. And then they have, like, banana splits and ten forward with Wesley. The boy. Yeah. Wes- like, Wesley's big bukkake scene. Yeah, and all of this is about manipulating him into remembering that he's human. At no point is a mirror produced, by the way. Yeah. Like... They they try to get him to cop to his humanity so that when they meet up with the Talarians, he's going to choose Team Human instead of Team Talarian. Yeah, and and it's very it's a very weird choice that they make because so 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 it's partly motivated by the fact that Doctor Crusher's examination of him has turned up evidence of lots of fairly substantial injuries in his past, and you know to the pampered federation citizens these like all they can think is this is abuse um so they're like well we got to get him out of this horrible environment you know he's just a kid like what is he like probably 16 or something yeah thereabouts um but on the other hand they're like well he's also like a born federation citizen and if the talarians had followed like appropriate interspecies communication protocols they would have been like hey we found this kid you want him back and the federation would come and collected him um but they didn't and so so they they feel like there's been an injustice here and so their their whole goal is to kind of is to kind of soft play this this sales pitch that they're gonna lay on jono which is like drop this Talarian shit you're coming with us essentially right as wrong head as it as it winds up being i found that believable i bought their 
the, that these kinds of people would come to these conclusions under these circumstances. Did you? I mean, where I'm a little bit squishy on whether or not it worked for me, you've, you, your case is more convincing than maybe the show is. Like, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but like the Federation and Picard himself really moralizes this decision. Like the kid's clearly abused. We've got to save him. He's basically been kidnapped by these Tolarians. There is no way that we are wrong about this one. Like, we're going to convince the Tolarians to give him up. He's going to stay with us. And that's going to be a successful mission. Right. But I think what they fail to recognize is that they might be wrong about the circumstances of his injuries. They might be wrong about where his allegiances lie. It might be a totally benign situation that has placed Jono in his adoptive father's care. Right, but I think like, that that's they just like, assume so much. That's what the episode is about is like their hubris around this around this yeah. set of choices is they are sitting in this fucking fancy starship that is, you know, like three Talarian warships are no match for their luxury cruise liner and they're yeah. they're sitting up on up in their ivory tower making these kind of these decisions, you know, they don't talk to Jono about it. They don't, and 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 Picard's monologue at the end is kind of about that. Is about how they like completely missed the facts on this one, and completely were trying to serve interests that don't actually exist. Yeah, I think it's great that that their moralizing is proven wrong. Like this is this is a concept that seems totally impossible in season one, where their moralizing was was drenched thick and rich right. all over all over every script like yeah this this shows how sophisticated they've they've become yeah as writers and it's and it's like yeah our uh, our friend Scott McNulty of the Random Trek podcast often cites uh, original series Kirk as like show up at a planet tell them what's wrong with their society and leave I come swinging the olive branch of peace <laughs> and uh, I think that that is very true of the original series, at least the episodes of it that I have suffered through. And this is a different thing. Like, and it would, I think, I think it's, it's pretty sophisticated by comparison. Like this felt more like a play in a way than some, some previous episodes. Like, like it's, it, it felt kind of literary in a, in a weird way. Well, it's definitely deep in the bottle. Like, it's a very thick glass bottle, for sure. <laughs> yeah. A bottle with a proscenium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they finally, like, Endar, the captain of uh, the Tolarian warship, shows up and is... Um, there's a bunch of scenes where Endar and, and Picard sort of debate what Jono's fate is going to be, and and they, like let Jono visit with Endar and a lot of stuff goes down that is essentially serving the function of exposing Jono to this side of him that he has never been in touch with, which is the human Starfleet person that he potentially could have been had history been different. And it like is deeply incompatible with the warrior mindset that he's been raised in. Like it is fucking his whole shit up and he like has like breakdown after breakdown like in the when they play racquetball he like completely loses it and it's like putting him back in the Talarian attack on whatever 
Federation settlement he was originally kidnapped from. Yeah, Jono goes like full vineyard on the racquetball court, and Picard's like, well, that's weird. Yeah. My love is a And so, like, Picard is having a snooze one night in his uh, glittering blanket. He's getting pillow advice from Geordi, I noticed. (laughs) Captain, you got to try out this pillow. It is wildly uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, really, Geordi? Here's the thing. You don't want to get in too deep of a sleep. Otherwise, you can't ward off the raiders who are trying to stab you in the middle of the night. Just so. I've taken a blade in my chest before, Geordi, and I appreciate that. Yeah, this is clearly not a uh, a Casper pillow. No, uh, and it's not the one with that guy with the like Jesus piece that yeah. advertises him on late night television. I just want to turn toward the camera for a moment and say, Casper, we're here and we're ready. I uh, I want to turn to the various mail order underpant and sock companies <laughs> that advertise on lots of podcasts and say. <laughs> That, you know, I've been thinking it's about time for me to stock up on some new undergarments, and uh, I am ready. So, while Adam needs a thing that costs $1,000, I only need a thing that costs 5 or $10. Consider it. This all comes to a head when Jono comes into Captain Picard has, having his naparoo, and uh, he's got the Klingon ceremonial knife, which I guess is probably from when Picard was Chadich to Worf. Yeah. My, that's my guess is, is what that's from. And uh, and uh, there's a pretty... Like, that was his walking around knife when he was in the hood? <laughs> yeah. When he was walking through the barrio on, on, uh, <laughs> on Kronos. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and Jono uh, like raises the knife over his head and attempts to plunge it into Picard's chest, and so he wakes up in Six Bay, and it turns out like this is a fairly minor injury. Like Jono from his warrior race completely blew it on this on this murder stabbing. Yeah, he's kind of a shitty warrior, isn't he? Yeah, like, I guess maybe the possibility is that he didn't, he, like, intentionally didn't kill Picard, because his plan here was attacking a senior officer is is punishable by death in his culture. And there's been a a bunch of moments in the episode where uh, he, like, assumed that something that was a rule in his culture would be a a rule no matter what. Mm -hmm. And, And the women thing is an example of that, but this is another... Picard is in a bio bed with with an arch, which, you know, that means it's fairly serious, but it's not like a full body arch, so it's not all that bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and uh, Crusher is like is stitching him up. And and so when when the Talarians get back on FaceTime, Picard is not on the bridge and Riker is and he has to be like, well, listen, Picard's not going to talk to you about this because your your son uh, decided to poke him with a knife. And uh, the captain is pretty particular that only Nausicans are allowed to poke him with a knife. <laughs> and Endar, uh, the Talarian captain, is like, this is fucking tragic, so I'm pissed enough that I'm going to start shooting at you guys. And the Talarian ships are, like, getting into battle formation very slowly, slowly enough for... 
Picard to like get back into uniform and get up to the bridge and talk him down off the ledge. And and yeah, he has this big monologue where he's like, like, yeah, we didn't consider what Jono wanted or what was right for him, like cosmically. And like, perhaps you didn't either, but you know, I don't know how we can hold our morality against you uh, when we've been, we've, acted out of such hubris around this whole issue. Yeah, and this is how they avert what would turn into war. I mean, right. Endar has made it pretty clear that unless they return Jono to him, he's ready to throw down. Yeah. And he's ca- he's calling all cars uh to the to the situation yeah. and they're like, "Look, our our weapons are no match for yours. We've got like hood-style weaponry over here." <laughs> And even though we know we're overmatched, like we're ready to go to war for this guy out of principle. And by the end of the episode, when they return Jono, they have not only felt the satisfaction of doing the right thing by him, but they've also averted what would be a fucking bloodbath for the Talarians. Right. Which is an interesting, that's such a, that's such a Star Trek problem. Like it's not an existential threat to the Enterprise. It's a moral threat to the Enterprise. Right. Like, they've met people before who have wiped out entire races fairly easily, Ben. Who's, like who, for example? That's incredibly tough to live with. Oh, yeah? You, you're, you're not dealing with it well, are you, Kevin? There's only one way to cope with the sort of genocide that this episode came so close to. What, uh, if, if you know, somebody's listening and they've done something, I'm sure they would want to know how you have found a way to cope. The only thing that cures what ails me is the comfort of a vinyl woman. <laughs> oh, oh, you're talking about a real doll. I don't like how you've started interviewing Kevin. <laughs> I liked it when you did Kevin with me. <laughs> what happened to you, man? I don't know. I, I kind of like talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> it puts too much pressure on me and my very okay at best Kevin Oxbridge impression. It's better than mine. Somebody said mine sounded like Homer Simpson. <laughs> God, I think mine started out like Richard Nixon, like in this episode. <laughs> ben, did you like this episode? I really did. I, I think that uh, you know we've we've given it a good ribbon, and there's definitely some things about it that are not perfect. But I felt like the moral quandary that Picard thinks he is in being not the one he is in fact in is such an interesting idea. And I thought they did a great job of, of you know, playing with the idea that Picard thinks he is this, like, you know, rational, moral actor and, in fact, like, does have some blind spots. And his worldview didn't, like, serve him particularly well in this, in this episode. Like, at the end of the day, he does the right thing, and it just takes him a really long time to get there. And it's not through any anything evil. It's just that he, he kind of misses the mark. Picard is so capable in basically every area that his discomfort would make him incapable of dealing with the situation. Like, there are plenty of circumstances as a Starfleet captain that you're put in uncomfortable situations. Right. But when he's around children, he just falls apart. Yeah, I feel like we all have the things like that, you know? Yeah, it's his bugaboo. Absolutely. How about yourself? Did you uh, did you enjoy this? 
I did. You know, when when Jono first comes on screen, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, we've got this. <laughs> we've got this. We couldn't get Jake. So we've got this other guy, Jake adjacent. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, this is going to be cartoonishly bad. And he starts doing the car alarm. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. I don't, I don't know if I can do another half an hour of this. Yeah. But it pretty quickly gets into some pretty heavy shit. And I dug it. There was a lot to laugh at and poke fun at, but the vein of of honestly trying to deal with how do you deal with a problem like Jono, I thought was pretty sophisticated for a show that has been pretty sloppy about stuff like this in the past. Yeah. Hey, Adam, I'm perceiving through my telepathic abilities that there's a priority one message that we need to ingest. What do you say we check that out? Yeah, let's... uh. Let's ingest that, I guess. <laughs> this is all extemporaneous, folks. No <laughs> scripts. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first and only priority one message is of a personal nature. It is to Sagan from his father, Kurt. It goes like this. To my newborn son, you are only a week and a half old, and I already know that you will boldly go where few have gone before. (laughs) Much like your namesake, I hope you will grow up to love big ideas, science fiction, and whatever the 2030 equivalent is of a Star Trek podcast. Lots of love, Dad. Sagan is pretty much the coolest name ever, right? Oh my God, I'm jealous forever. Yeah. Why didn't my stupid parents name me Sagan? We have terrible names compared to this. Yeah. Well, it's going to be 18 years before it's legally uh, and morally acceptable for you to share this podcast with your son. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we hope he hears it one day. And uh, welcome to the world, Sagan. Yeah. I think think you're going to turn out okay. Yeah. Your dad seems pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, good one, Kurt. Uh, if you would like to leave a Priority One message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message, and it is 200 bucks for a commercial message. And that's all you need to know about that. Ben? Adam? Did you find yourself a bratwurst-wrapped drunk Shimoda in this episode? Drunk <laughs> Shimoda! <laughs> How prescient of you to predict that my drunk Shimoda would be wrapped in brats. Uh, For indeed he was. Um, My Shimoda is Captain Endar. Captain Johnsonville? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, before before I say why he's my Shimoda, I do want to talk about the fact that he got to come aboard with two guys who were toting assault rifles. (laughs) It's like, why did they let those guys on board? Shouldn't they have to leave their fucking energy weapons on their ship yeah uh what was o'brien doing in that scene (laughs) he really mailed that one in yeah bad call o'brien but uh but endar was my shimoda because he comes there's a scene where he comes on board and gets to like spend some spend a quick moment with jono and uh like picard and troy just like turn and face the corner while while they talk and uh in this scene Endar turns his head away from camera a little bit 
and exposed the fact that he had a super long rat tail. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he has like a, a full 12 inches of rat tail hanging off the back of his already scrotumed up head. I don't remember seeing this. Did he have the little like braces rubber bands wrapped around it or was it like friendship bracelet woven in what configuration was the rat tail it's hard to tell from my screen here i i think it's like a a tight braid maybe with some maybe with some orthodontic rubber bands at the end (laughs) nice yeah and and our and our uh you know you thought jono had peak 90s hair nope it was endar the whole time (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's a rat tail Waiting in the weeds. <laughs> How about yourself? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? Just to be clear, is your Shimoda the rat tail or is it Endar? It's Endar. For sporting one. Endar made okay. a choice. <laughs> okay. Endar was looking in the floor length mirror and he's like, looking good, Endar. You know what? You know what would be kind of cool right about now? You know what the kids are really into? <laughs> Who's your Shimoda? My Shimoda is a scene-based Shimoda, and it's from this scene. Okay. Ben, I think it's really weird that Picard and Troy walk uh, Jono into the conference room to meet up with his dad, and then 10 feet away, just kind of turn around for privacy. They, like, stand at parade rest with their backs turned. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't afford any privacy, guys. No. Like, wh- I don't understand uh, why they thought to do that. And... What's weird is that they are blocked in the scene. Like, they are in between the two-shot yeah. of of Jono and his dad. Yeah, they don't want you to ignore the fact that Picard and Troy are there. It would have taken a one-foot dolly move to just sort of crop them out of the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as Jono sits down. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> hey, they were running out of time. They didn't want to have to, like, set the whole the whole rail set up, you know? It's sort of like a prison warden scene, like when they bring a prisoner out to go, to talk to someone through the glass. Yeah. It's that amount of privacy, <laughs> which is to say none at all. Yeah. Darmok, Angelad, and a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy, and that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when 
we get to look at it. We can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Uh, the next episode is episode five, Remember Me. Wesley's experiment with warp fields results in the mysterious disappearance of the crew. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I remember really liking this episode. This is one of those episodes that if I get a chance and I'm just flipping through mm -hmm. uh, the eps, I will occasionally watch this one for fun. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I like real weird Twilight Zone-y episodes, and this is one of them for me. Well, I don't, so I'm going to veto. Well, fuck you, because we're watching it. Adam, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep burning vetoes. <laughs> you insist? Do you insist? Fine, fuck you. You burned your veto. You did it again. Why are you saying I'm burning my veto? You're the one that burned your veto first. Because this episode is a turkey. No, it's not. It's it is not. It's a total turkey, Adam. There's some caviar on this bird, Ben, <laughs> and I want to watch it. It's probably the second worst Dr. Crusher episode. That's saying a lot. There are some real bad Crusher episodes. Is this on your Mount Armus? I think it might be. Is its depiction on Mount Armus something that should be there but isn't? <laughs> <laughs> like it's just an empty spot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow, I can't. I can't believe we're gonna go for a season four with no fucking. Ve we we, it's it's getting to be a joke that we don't even want to want to do them. People think that we pre-plan this shit, but we don't. No, that was a real shocker, Ben. 
Well, I'm glad to keep it exciting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know what else is exciting? What's that? Remember me, the episode. <laughs> you know, one thing that isn't disappearing without a trace, Ben, is our continued support that flows in from our viewers. We have almost 300 people contributing to our MaximumFun.org slash donate account, which uh, they're telling us is, uh, is really terrific for a show that has not been through one of the pledge drives yet. So uh, thank you so much to everybody that is uh, helping us make the show. Uh, the vibe of the emails that we get from MaxFun most of the time is, we're really surprised about your success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely like bemused perplexity at the at the number of people that listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to talk to Jesse and have him take you seriously. Yeah, as as a real program. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, go to go to that if you've got the means. We really appreciate it, and it helps us out in a big way. Uh, I uh, don't want to guilt trip anybody, but I did recently get laid off from my job and. Uh, even the small amount that uh, it winds up being is uh, very much appreciated at the uh, at the end of the month. So uh, I uh, just want to extend a warm, warm thank you to to donors. And I also want to thank uh, the folks that have uh, left iTunes reviews and left reviews elsewhere and written about how much they like our podcast on blogs and uh, and Reddit and Facebook and stuff. Like any time i see somebody talking about how much they like the show in a public place it just like it really warms my heart it's it is such an honor to do this for you guys when when you're out there singing its praises the way you do so thanks all and uh, if you'd like to get involved please uh consider leaving a review or uh bigging us up on your socials medias um or buying a t-shirt. Yeah, you go to maxfunstore.com. You can get cop that, that tea. Sell them like hotcakes. Uh, we're already working on t-shirt 2, the sequel to the original. Yeah. It uh, should be a re- ready around the holidays, it's looking like. So uh, get ready for that, folks. Um, yeah. I think people are going to like this one. And we should thank Dark Materia and Adam Ragusia. Dark Materia makes the theme music of the program. Adam Ragusia makes the music you hear when we're reading Priority One messages. And we hugely appreciate the uh, the music that both of them made uh, for our show. Dark Materia didn't even realize it was for our show, probably, <laughs> when he was making it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Surprise! (laughs) Uh, And uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that probably shouldn't have ever existed in the first place. An episode that our viewers will always remember. Mm Can I tell you a quick underpants story? Okay. So as as you and our viewers know, I was in Victorville for almost three weeks. Yes. And the thing is, when you've been hired as a one-man band production crew, yes. 
you got to keep your packing real light. Like, yeah. I basically went down with a, a bazooka tube tripod case, mm-hmm. uh, a Pelican 1510 camera case, and an over-the-shoulder uh, duffel bag. Not a roundy that Picard would have, like an actual duffel. Yeah. And knowing that it would be impossible to pack clothes for three weeks, I packed no clothes for three weeks. Wow. Instead, I bought underwear at Costco. <laughs> three weeks worth of underwear at Costco. Wow. Let me tell you, I have no, I have no problems with the Kirkland brand of products. Mm-hmm. They're a fine product. Yeah. They make a fine pair of underwear. But I'm telling you, I would throw them all away for some underwear that had woven silver in them. <laughs> the maids at your hotel must have been so upset. Every day there's a new pair of tidy whities in the trash can. <laughs> it was terribly wasteful. <laughs> and yet there was nothing I could do. Like, there's no... There's no yeah, packing that amount of clothing for a trip like this. You're not gonna, you're not gonna go down to the FedEx and stuff underpants in a box and ship them back to yourself. <laughs> that was actually a bit of tour advice. Friend of the show, John Roderick, has told me about that. Oh no! You go out on on tours with bands. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you don't want to spend a half a day in a laundromat. No. Just buy some underwear. Then you're rolling around with new underwear all the time. Oh, it's great. That's pretty. It's uh, pretty good. You just build that into the budget. That's an underpants yeah. line item. You do not want to invoice too specifically <laughs> when yeah. when you're buying underwear in quantities of 21. Yeah, they call a uh, because of producers wanting to cut things from line items, uh clothespins, which are very useful things to have on film sets are are usually called C47s on a budget. Yeah. And it just yeah. it's like the idea is it sounds important, so a a tenacious cost-cutting producer won't cut it out because they won't know what it is and they won't want to risk it yeah underpants maybe that's a c48 yeah those uh those bvd 77s forget (laughs) it gotta keep them (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported